then you are truly disciples of mine. And we're going to talk about what all these mean a little bit later. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Three things are going to happen to you if you stay in the Word as a regenerated, born-again Christian. And in freedom here, we could take this, this message over to the, meth, to the idea of what does freedom look like in eternity. But we're focusing today on freedom on this planet. We're, we're going to just talk about that because I, I only have an hour and a half left. So, Okay, so there's a simple equation here. If you just look at it quickly, if you do this, then, and, and, and. It's a simple equation. If you abide in the word, incidentally, I'm sorry, I use that, but there there are different translations, I'll get to that. If you continue in the word a little bit, then you're going to be a little bit of a disciple. Then you're going to know a little bit of the truth, and you're going to be a little bit free. But if you abide in the word passionately, wildly, you know, persistently, then you're going to be a bigger disciple, a more, more powerful disciple. You're going to know more of the truth, and you are going to be more free. It's a measure of your choice. How far do you want to carry it? So, again, I ask you to look at your life. If you feel you're living a free life, that you are in peace and joy almost anything, you're right where you want to be. But if you're not, I encourage you to think about this one choice you have to make, which is just step it up. Just step it up, and we're going to talk about how to do that. Okay, now let's get in here a little deeper. There's several things that are, that are really interesting to think about in this verse. Let's go to the choice. This choice is your act of will. How much am I going to be uh, uh, focused on the word? How important am I going to make it to me? So let's look at that word continue. I said there's several translations. The NASB and the King James translate that verb as uh, continue. The ESV translates it as abide, if you abide in my word. And already I can see some people nodding because clearly in in the way we think of things, continue means one thing and abide means something kind of different. And then you go to the NIV and it says, hold on to my word, hold on to it. Well, that's different. Let's think about that. Continue says to me, I start and I never stop, right? I persist. I have a picture in my mind of a bulldog. I am, I am continuing in that word. I'm not going to let go of it. You know, it's in my teeth. Abide, I'm going to live in the word. I'm going to dwell in the word. It's like I'm wrapped by it. There's no place I go that the word isn't wrapped around me. I am like the word is part of me. It is, it is part of me. And then hold on to my word. It, just think of the, the, the guy drowning and he has one finger on the lifeline. You know, the little... Uh, What's a donut-looking thing? You know, he, How hard will he hold on to that? With everything he's got, I can't let it go. It's a desperate need. It is the most important thing in my life, that lifeline. That's, that's the picture now of continuing, abiding, holding on to God's Word. It is the most important thing in your life. I want you to remember that last week, Michael... Gave, where, I just saw it, there he is. Michael gave his message about what, was, what is Christ worth. And we concluded, and all of us walked out of here nodding our head, he's, he is, in, it's immeasurable. It's, you cannot be calculated Christ's worth to us. And I walked away thinking about Christ's worth to me in an eternal sense, because he has rescued me from sin and condemnation and death, and, 
and he has saved me from the pit, and he has uh, uh, brought me to paradise through no fault of my own, nothing I did. I want you to think about today the same kind of question. What is God's word worth to you? Because we're going to see God's word translate into freedom in a minute. I want to make the case to you that God's word is the most vital, important thing you have on this earth. The most vital, important thing you have on this earth. Okay. So if that's what continue, abide, hold means, now let's go to the three promises. Praise the Lord, you've made your choice, now your work is over. Now, is that really right? Well, no, because you're going to have to, you're going to, have to live up to your word. It doesn't just mean, oh, I vow to do this, Lord. It means you've got to do it every day. It, you know, so let's look at the promises. Um, he says, if you continue, then you are truly disciples of mine. Well, we know what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower. A disciple, or, a disciple can even be a student of someone learning from. But when we're talking about a disciple of mine... Jesus Christ speaking. That's a very different kind of a disciple. You know, uh, not, to, not to be silly, but Michael right now could be a disciple of Nathan Busnitz or, or of uh, John MacArthur. And that's wonderful. But there's a world of difference between that and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what exactly am I talking about? Well, Luke, in chapter 9, described what being a, a disciple, Jesus described what being a disciple was like. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny himself. This really is language that you are to die. Yourself, your dreams, your wishes, your uh, free will even, is to die. You are to live to serve Christ. MacArthur wrote a great book called Slave. In fact, we did a, a class in it not long ago. The, the, the premise in the book is all those places where King James and, and subsequent Bibles translated servant. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a, that the word is really slave. Slave in the sense of you have been bought at a price, which we know is true, and you have no will. You only live to serve the master. So what we're talking about here is denying yourself, and the way that you deny yourself is by getting rid of yourself, your dreams and wishes, and instead serving the will of the Master. The second must take up his cross daily. Look, we sit here in year 2013, and when we think of the cross, we think of the horrific sacrifice Christ endured, but the cross is a symbol of incredible deliverance and hope to us. It wasn't that way to the people Christ was speaking to when he first uttered these words. The cross was Roman murder, Roman oppression. People, even in Galilee, had seen hundreds of people hung on a cross. Unspeakable torture, horrible way to die. And pick up your cross, take up your cross. They had seen them because part of the ritual of the cross was carrying that big heavy wooden thing to your place of execution. So when they, when they heard these words, it is the picture of a condemned man. Condemned. No, no uh, appeal at the last minute. Bearing a great burden to death. If anyone would follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. That's who you are in Christ. And follow me. And follow me means it's more than just trotting along behind him on the path. 
It is following His teaching, His will, His decisions, His commands. It is following Him. It is, I don't care whatever He tells me to do, I do with no regard for myself. So if you can see, being a disciple really is another way to think about Christ telling us that, that when we are in the Word, we learn that our self, our, our self has no value. The value we have is in being a slave to Christ. Let go of yourself. Let go of all your dreams and plans and wishes because they are fruitless. Christ has a better plan for your life. And, and if you will follow Him, you will be following Him where? To freedom. Okay. So, what it's telling us then about disciples is, the more I continue in His Word, the more I abide, hold on to His Word, the better disciple I will be. Right? Everybody can see that. If I'm not doing much with the, with the Word, I'm not going to be much of a disciple. But we are called to be disciples. The second promise he says, if you're disciples of mine, and you will know the truth. Wow. You read the Bible. It's just jam-packed with truth, isn't it? It's just jam-packed with truth. Well, let's talk about what it means to know the truth. Yes, that truth is found in the Bible. I talked about the Second Timothy verse about what it's useful for. It's really useful for, when it says for every good work, it means it is useful for Everything possible, thought, word, and deed, that God would have you do as his, as his creation, as His child. Everything. Scripture tells us everything that we need. Why? Because it's everything God knew we needed. We don't need anything else. It's Scripture. Okay? So... It says you will know the truth. What is knowing the truth? Well, that word know, knowing is, comes from the Greek gnosko, which means more than just absorbing a few facts. It really means a deep and intimate understanding. It really means an active knowledge, a knowledge that's put into practice. And let me see if I can kind of expand on that a little bit. For example, knowing includes things like a deep understanding of God's revealed wisdom. What is the Bible? That's God's revealed wisdom to us, isn't it? This is a deep understanding. This is not a surface understanding. How many times have you read a verse, and you realize, well, I read it a couple of months ago, and oh, I read it last year, thought about it, and whatever. And every time you read it, you, you learn more. Do you know why that happens? Because this knowing process is a layering process. As I, as I learn one of God's truths, I know, I, I have, have several relationships there. I, I can expand that truth to a couple of places. But when I know another truth and then another truth, and what I'm doing is I'm layering truth upon truth. And as I'm doing that, I'm making more connections. Do you understand what I mean by that? I'm making more connections so I see more clearly. I see, I have a better picture of what I'm seeing. Let me give you an example and see if this helps. I, I, when I first got out of graduate school, I was a businessman, got an MBA, and I was loving business. And I, I read a study one time that said, what makes a great business leader? Is it the school they went to? Is it their intelligence? Is it their, their parents? Is it how much money they have in the bank? And they finally concluded, I don't remember who did this study, but they finally concluded it was vocabulary. Isn't that interesting? But what they said was, if you, if you are a person with a normal vocabulary, and then you learn one more word... And I'm not talking about a simple word. I'm talking about if you learn another word, you can 
create as many as 1,500 other contacts or connections that help you literally increase your practical intelligence. Well, if you can do that with a word, a, a word from man, how much can you grow your wisdom and your knowledge by connecting God's truth one to another? It, it just it, it could be limitless, couldn't it? So, so really what we're doing here is we're saying, by the, the more truth I learn, the, the clearer the picture becomes to me. And the, and the broader it becomes to me. What are some of the things that, that God is, is revealing to us? First thing, he's telling us who he is. I can't, I can't do much of anything on my own. Well, I can't do anything on my own, but I can't do much of anything on my own even if I don't know who God is. And if I don't know who I am in God. You see, things about salvation, things about how life really works, things about values, things about purposes, okay? Things about what is good and what has everlasting value. Things about how God wants us to live this life. And I don't want to jump too far ahead here, but that little list I just gave you, who God is, who man is, what, what about salvation and reality, what about values. And Do you realize before you were a Christian, before you were regenerated, you had all those things answered? You had the answer to every one of those kinds of questions. And where did that answer come from? came from Satan. Because if you don't have God's truth in you, you are filled to the brim with Satan's lies. Do you understand that? And so here's what's going on. As I learn the truth, and I've learned a little bit of the truth, what am I doing? I'm replacing Satan's lies with God's truth. But if I've only learned a little bit of the truth, I've still got a whole bunch of Satan's lies still in me, still choking me, still clogging me up. Still helping me make bad and sinful decisions. Do you see? That's why you want to learn as much of this truth as you can. Step by step. Layer upon layer. Grace by grace, right? Knowing also means more than head knowledge. It's one thing to have great head knowledge. Look, this is a very well-taught church. Everybody would say amen to that. I know because we have a terrific teaching pastor here at Kerrville Bible Church. We have very gifted Sunday school teachers. We have home groups that are just rich, rich times of fellowship and lots of other things that we do. When it comes to being well taught, I think we're probably pretty high up on the list. Okay, But knowing the Word without knowing how to apply it in your life, taking that knowledge and turning it into wisdom, how do I apply it in my life, is the same as just eating pinwheels and Oreos. I'm eating food, but all I'm doing is getting fat. Okay? If you, if you are... Just, just take that picture with you. If you, are, if you are just gorging yourself on the Word, and you're just filling it up in your head, what you're really doing is putting it on just like if you were eating apple pie. You're just, you're just getting fat in the Word. So, knowing means applying what you know, what you've learned, you see? For example, as you, as you encounter a trouble in your life, You've got something that is, is, is worrisome to you or is, um, is causing you to be angry or, or depressed or whatever. You're not alone. You've got God with you in this book. Go find out what God says about that problem. Go find out about what God says about that problem. Seek wisdom. What does he tell us in James? If any of you lacks wisdom, ask. It'll be given to you. 
Seek his wisdom. Find out what God teaches or commands about the problem. And then start looking, and you'll find it. Start looking for Satan's sin. Did I do that? Satan's sin that is causing you to have the bad reaction, the bad response to the problem. So watch. If you come up against a problem that is disturbing your life, that's taking away God's peace and joy, go to the Bible. If you're having trouble, you know I always have a commercial. If you're having trouble with that, come find a biblical counselor. We've got a, got a bunch of pamphlets out there that tell who we are and what we do. And we'll help you find what God says about that problem and how you can, can wipe it out of your life. So that's, how you, that's a way you could apply God's knowledge. But I have an have a, a even better plan. Why don't you do that before you get in trouble? Why don't you just sort of start right now and look in the book and think about what is God telling me about forgiveness? What is he telling me about anger? What is he telling me about, um, you know, it would be different for everybody, hundreds of issues. What is he telling me so that when faced with an issue, I can make an intelligent decision. I'm, I'm filling my body with truth. So this, what I would call applied truth or wisdom, this is the truth that will set you free. So the more you continue in the Word, the more truth you're going to know. You see in the equation, the more you continue in the Word, the, the, the better disciple you're going to be. The more you continue in the Word, the more truth you're going to know. Now let's go to the third uh, truth, uh, th- the third promise. And the truth will make you free. Now, first thing that jumps out at me is the truth will make me free. It isn't some other person that's going to make me free. It isn't me that's going to make me free. It's the truth. Now, what does that speak to? That speaks to the incredible power of God's Word. It, unme- in immeasurable Word. The word God tells us can do whatever he purposes. Think about Isaiah 55. My word, I'm just excerpts. My word, which goes forth from my mouth, will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Open up your Bible, see what God is speaking to you, and know for a fact he will accomplish in you what he did, what he wanted that word to accomplish in you. Don't you find that just incredibly encouraging? See, but what do we do? I'm digressing from my thing here a little bit. We read something and we think, that's amazing, but not for me. I, my problem's different. I, you know, it's, it's like we're saying, God, you really don't understand my, you know, my issues and my problems and whatever. And so we start resisting. We start resisting. What in the world are we thinking of? We are literally saying no to God. Incredible to me. Um, Hebrews 4.2, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge thoughts and intentions of the heart. This word is amazing. 1 Thessalonians You received the word of God, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is. Word of God. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonians, which also performs its work in you. It's what we've been talking about. You want proof that God's word has power, just go to the third verse in your Bible. 
God said, let there be light. And there was light. I rest my case. So, we have this word which will set you free. This truth which will set you free. Don't doubt it. If you are not free, go to the word. Right? Go to the word. It's, it isn't hard. It's what biblical counseling is built on. When you're not living life free in Christ, you come to the Word. But now here's the question. Free from what? What really are we free from? We know that when we were sanctified, when, I mean when we were uh, regenerated and when we were born again, that one important thing happened to us then. That we were freed from the power of sin. Before we were regenerated, all we could do was sin. We were a sinful creature. We could not spiritually discern anything. We were sinners. After regeneration, we are freed from the power of sin. But we're not guaranteed anything, are we? You see, here's the thing. In our eternal salvation, God promises, I can never take that away from you. Your eternal salvation is assured. But your peace and joy in freedom on this earth is definitely not assured. What do you have to do to go get it? If you abide in my word. Okay? If you're not playing your part, you're not going to get these other three promises. You're not going to be free of... I didn't answer the question. What are we free from? We're free from the lies of Satan. The lies and deception of Satan. And the sin it causes. Because what Satan is trying to do when he deceives us, he's trying to trick us into sin, isn't he? I mean, he didn't, he didn't offer Eve that apple just because he wanted to see if she thought it tasted good. He was tricking her into sin. What did he do with Jesus in the wilderness? He was trying to get Jesus to sin. So that's what he's trying to do with us. So if I can find my place, I'm going to tell you. Here we are. We are free to the extent... That we live according to God's truth. Make sense? If you stay in my word, you're, you're disciples, you know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So however much truth I know, that's how much freedom I'm going to have. So we're going to be free to the extent we know truth. But watch this. We are still in bondage to the extent we live by Satan's lies. We're still in bondage. We are still sin, slaves to sin in areas where we don't know the truth. Watch this. Satan is active all around us. Just because I'm saved doesn't mean Satan doesn't want to get me. And yes, he cannot take my salvation from me. But what he does do is seek to destroy my joy and to destroy my witness. He wants to make me an ineffective piece of God's kingdom on this earth. So I can't do any more damage to him. Satan, looking at me, looking at you, Satan... This is just exactly what Jesus warned Peter about. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. You've read, you've read that verse. And the first couple of times I read that verse, I thought of my little sweet gray-haired grandmother in her apron, you know, with her little gold metal flower, sifting it so she can make a big fluffy cake. That is not at all what this is a picture of. They didn't do that back in these days. When he says sift you like wheat, he's talking about there's the wheat growing, there is, it's chopped off from its sustenance, from its, uh, from its life. It's now being killed. 
Then they take it in sheaves and they take it into the threshing floor and they just beat it to death trying to rip those little wheat berries off of that plant. Then what's left, they take and throw in the fire. This is a violent picture. When he told Peter, uh, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, Peter shuddered, I'm sure. This is not a pretty picture. This is not some fuzzy little cute grandma story. This is, this is, Satan wants to rip your heart out, see, in terms of how you can serve God. He wants to tear you limb from limb if he can. This is not a pretty picture. You know, some of the things Satan does to deceive us are, um, and, and you know this list, but I, I just felt like I needed to say a couple of these things to make sure we're focused on the things Satan is doing to us. He, he first loves to distract us. Let's look at the culture around us and look at what he has done. I think in Sunday school we, you even talked about this. He distracts us with money, with TV, movies, sports, all kinds of toys. I need a new car, I need a boat, whatever. He distracts us with food and drink, with movies. He, he puts in front of us an astonishing array of things to keep our mind off God, to keep our mind off God's truth, to keep our mind off of how we can become more righteous. You realize this whole thing we're talking about is really a question of your progress through sanctification. If you continue in my word, you become my disciples, okay? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And each step along that way, you are becoming more and more conformed to the image of the Son. So, so Satan doesn't want you to think about that. He wants to distract you. I need to watch University of Texas football. I am, I'm just telling you, I have to do that. And, uh, and it is a distraction, I know that. Thankfully, they only play about 14 games a year, <laughs> Now, the next thing he tries to do is he tries to elevate you. He tries to puff you up. What did we just learn? The Christian faith is calling us to deny ourselves. Christian faith is calling us to diminish. Satan is trying to get you to elevate. He's trying to uh, make you think you're important. Oh, he loves this one. Our culture is so good at being his assistant here, trying to get you to worry about your rights and demand your rights. I just I encourage anybody, I, I, I wish I had some money, I'd give a reward for the person who can find that verse for me. Um, he wants to uh, fuel your demands, your wishes, and your feelings. Have you thought about how Satan uses your feelings to make you indignant or to make you angry? And it's always because he's puffed you up. Nobody can talk to me that way. You know, we, we see this in, in, uh, uh, in counseling couples a lot where there is a lot of bitterness both ways about how the other party has treated them. If you study, and this is a, a sideline, if you study God's plan for marriage, there is nothing in the Bible that talks about how your spouse should treat you at all. It talks about how you should treat your spouse, how you should treat your spouse. You are responsible. Your spouse isn't responsible to anything for you. Anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a, take it, going off in that deal. It's hard for me not to do that. I get, I get carried away. Um, so he loves to puff you up and get your indignations all inflamed. He loves to 
He loves to get you to say things like, I just can't forgive that. Really? You can't? What you mean is you won't. Because what does God command you to do? Forgive. Not tomorrow. Right now. Forgive. The, the kinds of things like, oh, this isn't fair, or why me, or, uh, and then his big one, where he gets you to justify your sins. You say, well, I mean, did God really say, remember that, remember that trick? So, anyway, those are the kind of things he does. But listen, when I'm talking about those things, the reason I bring them up is I want you to understand, it, it, this is just another way to say it, where you are filling your body up with truth, and there's still an area where you don't have the truth, Satan will fill that void. There's no void there, okay? If you, if you are in the truth, and you're filling, just get this picture, and you're full up to here, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you misunderstand something, or you're not applying it properly, or whatever, he'll fill that void too. He's looking for any chink in your armor he can find. He prowls around like a lion, doesn't he? He's just looking for a little crack where he can plant some doubt in you, or plant some false thinking in you. Okay, and the most important thing to think about Satan, because we're talking about freedom, and the freedom is freedom from Satan's influence in your life. Satan has an advantage over you. He has a big advantage over you, and here's what it is. When you are first, when, you're first, when you first become a Christian, and you're a baby, you don't know anything. And so, I, I'll, I'll share a story with you. When I first became a Christian, I remember sitting with some people one time and somebody said something about abortion. Now, I, I was 55 years old when I became a Christian. I had lived, you know, a, a, an unbelieving life. And I thought at the time, I thought, well, you know, okay, come on, that's a political thing. Who cares? That's, you know, that's nothing. There is a new Christian, supposedly regenerated and ready, but I didn't know enough truth, did I? I just didn't understand. Okay? And so to me, it was nothing. Now, it is a huge battleground and of, of enormous importance. The, 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 the notion of 54 million babies murdered is, drives me to my knees. So, that's what I'm saying is, Satan has an advantage of you because when you're baby Christian, you don't know enough. And he can still fill you with lies and influence the way you live. And so, you need to get on, get on the, the ball. You need to get after it and start learning truth. I've been a Christian now 12 years. I still have gaps in my truth. I have a lot of gaps in my truth. Satan exploits them all the time. My point is, he's going to exploit your habits and the areas where you haven't filled in with God's truth. So that, oh, and, and incidentally, the culture is his, you know, his eager accomplice. I mean, you just watch a sitcom or something and you'll get filled with so many lies, it's incredible. So if you're not on your guard... You may think, oh, I'm all covered over here and Satan's going to hit you here. You, you see, the, you get the picture I'm trying to say. Um, so when you make decisions or when you face problems of many kinds, it is entirely possible, a mature Christian, it is entirely possible that you can default to Satan's lies. So I want you to realize how serious this is. Satan wants you. He wants to put you on the sidelines. And he's looking for an opportunity. So, that's, that's true. You might default to Satan's lies unless you know the truth that can counter that lie. Your weapon is found in the Bible. Everybody knows this, right? The weapon to counter 
Satan's lies is the truth in the Bible, and it's put so eloquently in Ephesians 6 about put on the full armor of God. Everybody knows that verse, but I just, I just think it is a verse that, that I hang to because I'm overmatched by Satan without the Bible. So, the truth is, the more you continue in his word, the more freedom you're going to have, right? Everybody, everybody's with me on how this works. Now, then my question is, do you see how important continue, abide, and hold is? Uh, uh, really, please do this for me. Do, do you see that continue, abide, and hold of God's Word is vitally important to you on this earth? Do you see this? It's the difference between peace and joy and frustration and despair. In your life. Okay, so why don't we all continue abide and hold more? What is happening? Well, sin gets in our way. This is what happens. The sin of contentment. Look, life's pretty good. I don't need to. I don't need to do this. Uh, I, I've got things going pretty well. Well, you might today, but you're going to have trouble. Christ promises you that you're going to have trouble, and uh, that truth is the only way to deal with that trouble. Uh, also, if you don't obey and and step up your involvement in the Word, you're not going to be all God designed you to be. The sanctification question. He wants you to be more like His Son. If you're not in the Word, you're not cooperating. Um, there's also the notion where we mistake activity for progress. And I've been guilty of this. I, I remember the first time I did the Read Bible in a Year program. And uh, pretty soon I was three or four days behind, and then I was a week behind, and so I decided I'd read them all, you know, get all caught up. Well, all I did was check off boxes. I learned nothing. I got nothing out of that. So don't confuse a flurry of activity for, for making progress. The one I want to hit on is spiritual pride. There are two kinds of spiritual pride that we see. One is where people don't want to admit what they don't know. And so they try to cover up. And so they, they read something or they study something and they just don't get it, but they're afraid to go to another brother or sister or the pastor or the biblical counselors and say, I don't get it. Help me with this. Stop it. We are all a family here. And we're not a family like my brothers and sisters in Phoenix, Arizona are. We're an eternal family. We're children of God. We're here to help and build one another up. If you don't understand something in the Bible, come and let me know, and I'll take you either to Mark Andrews or Dave Vineyard, and they'll answer the question for you. Okay. I have resources. That's right. <clears throat> but there's another kind of spiritual pride, and you know what that is. That we think we know too much. We're like the Pharisees. We're very proud in, our, in, in what we know. Again, because we're such a well-taught church, we have a lot of people that know a lot in this area. But just be sure that you are applying that word. That you are like the Bereans. You are testing your understanding of that word. That you are um, using it to build your wisdom. The word means nothing unless you let it change you. That's what the word's there for, is to change you. Um, I'm going to tell you something in counseling. I've also heard this. Well, I'm, I'm just, come on, I'm too busy. I'm, or I'm too tired or something. Stop it. There is no excuse for being tired or being, uh, not having enough time. The, the, we're talking about something with eternal payback here. So I have a test for you. I'm, I really am almost closed. I have a test. 
I'm going to ask you, don't, please don't answer, but I'm going to ask you to think about your life and, and think about how frequent or how severe things like this are in your life. And this is not an exhaustive list, but just a few. How frequent or, or how severe are in your life is anxiety, fear of anything, worry, anger or bitterness, disappointment, unmet expectations, guilt, unforgiveness, selfishness, strife, some kind of controlling sin, despair, or depression. Now think about those on that list. If in your heart you're saying that that happens, that something on that list, or maybe a couple of things on that list, happen more than occasionally, you're not living free. You're not living free. This message is for you. You need to be continuing, abiding, and holding in His Word. And you know what the problem is? The problem is you. You must make the one choice God has given you. You see how this ties back together? If you want that freedom, you must make that choice. So, I think that uh, I'm going to give you a little snippet of a way you could get started to be more active in God's Word. Because there are two things we see in counseling. Laney and I talked about this that are, that are particularly difficult, cause particular hardship and, and difficulty in people's lives. The first is making God too small or too uninvolved. So stop that. Go into the Word yourself. Do your own personal Bible study. Figure out how do I make God as big as He is to understand how big He is and make Him the most important thing in my life. The most important thing in my life. And the second one is seeing that people think they're too big. They're too important. And so, that's your second Bible study. How do I go in and find out what the Bible teaches me about diminishing myself? About eradicating the love of self. And I will tell you right here, the love of Kenny is the biggest problem, single problem I have in my life. That pride is, uh, is awful. I must work on it daily. But if you'll do that, study how to make God bigger and study how to make yourself smaller. If you will do that, you're on the way to knowing the truth that will set you free. Would you bow your head in prayer with me? Most gracious Heavenly Father, your word says it all. There's little that we can add to what you teach us in your word. Uh, Lord, let us treasure the notion of being free, free to live in peace and joy on this earth because of the truth contained in your word. Let us rededicate ourselves to make that the most important thing we do in our life. Lord, how can we spend six hours a day on TV and we can't spend 60, 60 minutes a week studying your word to improve our quality of life? We are foolish foolish children. But your word is sufficient. We know that, Lord. And so let us uh, surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading, the Holy Spirit's teaching, the Holy Spirit's convicting. Let us truly be Christians that live freely in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.